Bretto, did you know? No, what MP? That studies show white tea is healthier for you than green tea. Wow, MP. That's right. US studies are now showing that white tea kills viruses and bacteria, whilst green tea only stimulates the immune system to fight disease. Better yet, MP, white tea is lower in caffeine, which is good for people like me, richer in antioxidants and great for digestion and a super detox remedy. White tea is no fat either, Bretto. The Chinese have been drinking it up for over 1,000 years and now our Wellness Couch tribe can enjoy the same benefits with Lotus Peak White Tea. Grown in mountainous regions of China in accordance with the ancient Chinese traditions and expertise without chemicals and pesticides, Lotus Peak White Tea is good for you inside and out. Certified organic and Australian-owned Lotus Peak White Tea is available in Woolworths, Coles, Safeway and a range of health food stores. To find out more, go to lotuspeak.com.au. Lotus Peak White Tea, an affordable way to stay and feel healthy. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Christoph and Dr. Brett Hill. Hey, Brett, this episode's brought to you by Forage. Forage. Love my Forage cereal, Damo. My Forage Paleo with uh, such a great way to start the day. I make my little homemade almond meal, uh, almond milk, I should say. I put some uh, strawberries on it. It's yum. beautiful. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah, I love Forage. Um, I created it with your health in mind, and obviously I created Paleo because you told me to. And uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for that. But this episode is brought to you by Forage. It's a great tasting, incredibly healthy, no added nasty muesli range that uh, I created to help you stay well. So if you want to see more about it, go to www.foragecereal.com. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. This is Damien Christoph, And this is Brett Hill. I thought we'd bring our surnames back into it, Brett A, this week. I like it. I yeah. like it. It was, a little bit, it was a little bit arrogant last week, just going for the first name, I thought, just, you know. Assuming everyone knows who we are. Really? I reckon they know. I reckon they know. Our listeners know who we are. But I, um, I feel like we're talking slowly just because we've just uh, spoken to someone from across the ditch. And uh, by what, by that, I mean we've just spoken to a Kiwi who's flying the flag for health and well-being, working as an advisor to the government, albeit he's got his, you know, he's bashing his head against the wall still with government and other people that, you know, probably shouldn't have their roles and have got their roles. But he's doing a great job, isn't he, Brett well, it's exciting. It really is exciting to see that governments are taking on board these kind of people. And even if they're not particularly listening to them, at, at least they're getting them involved in the process. And, you know, particularly someone uh, like Grant, who's very much involved in the research and, and understands the research and what it's showing. And, and he's not over the top about it. He's very pragmatic about what it does show and what it doesn't show, which I think is really important when it comes to speaking to people like governments. And uh, But it's really exciting to someone who has this more you know, human potential focus as opposed to just not being sick. He's looking for people to perform at their best. Um, and wouldn't it be amazing if that could even just in a small way start filtering through to the government? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, when I was in New Zealand, Brett, I'd love to bring things back to when I was in New Zealand. Um, I yeah, worked... Everything goes... When I was on TV in New Zealand, yeah. I know, <laughs> right? I know. I know. One day when you are smart enough, you'll get on television as well. But until that day, you won't get there. Um, anyway, I hope you. I wish you all the best, Brett. Um, th- uh, there was uh, there's a, a 
an institute called the Millennium Institute, and it's up in the North Shore of um, of Auckland, and that's where all the athletes go. So it's kind of like our um, Australian Institute of Sport. The Millennium Institute is where the Kiwis go and do all their training and all that sort of stuff. And this is where Grant works. And the doctor from uh, Downsize Me was the GP, the integrated GP that actually works at the Human Potential Center um, at the Millennium Campus in Auckland. So, like, he's, he's this guy, Grant Schofield, is working with some of the best of the best, which is unreal. Um, he's the professor of public health at Auckland University of Technology. They, they call it AUT. And uh, he's also um, the chief education advisor on health and nutrition to the government. Uh, so he's doing some really big things. He's a, a psychologist um, at, by profession, um, but now travels around the world and lectures on ways in which people can actually integrate um, better health into their uh, lifestyle. And and I saw him and I met him at the New Zealand College. Sorry, I said that before, didn't I? The New Zealand uh, Chiropractors Association. And uh, and he gave a riveting uh, presentation. I really liked it. Nice. Well, it is good, Damo, because he does understand all the aspects. You know, he understands the research. He understands the public health perspective. And he understands the, the health and wellness perspective. So it's a great interview. Yeah. Let's get into it. All right, mate. Let's do it. So Grant, I'll bring you straight into the chat. It's uh, really it's an honour for us to bring you into the Wellness Guys show. We haven't had you on here before, but it is great to have you, Grant. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, and, and no pressure. I've got to do this raw, convincing message that <laughs> you're speaking of. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not necessarily you know it's not raw vegan or raw vegetarian or anything like that, but it's just a raw, real message, and that's what I like because there's a lot of uh, messages out there. And you know what you spoke about, which resonated with me, is that a lot of nutrition information is based on philosophy. There's not a whole lot of hard data around every single eating program on the planet, and I like that because there is some really good quality data and information and research around some programs but not all programs um, and so that resonated with me and I like that so where, where you, whereabouts are we at the moment in nutrition um, from the perspective of health in Australia and New Zealand where do you reckon we are at the moment well I think the bigger picture is just you know health um, and what we even do about health so both in Australia and New Zealand you think about the health system I think in actual fact we actually really mean you know the the billions and billions that go into that. Are the ninety nine point something percent is spent on on fixing up sickness, and if you're sick, that's good. You want that, um, but you know we can do a lot better. And there's some startling statistics. In fact, I, I was just over in Australia last week um, trying to find some sunshine, and then because uh, it's a bit rainy here. They, Did you and, find sunshine <laughs> here? Did you find any? <laughs> Yeah, I'll hit it for Queensland, guys. Oh, yeah, there you go. go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Definitely didn't come to Adelaide. There's none of it. uh, All here in Melbourne. (laughs) And I was just looking at, you know, in 2015, the World Health Organization did did these sort of audits of different countries, including Australia and New Zealand, trying to figure out, um, they do it in these years lost. So you can go, well, you know, there was about 25 million people in Australia in um, 2015. and there was about 5 million of those years were lost to poor health. So 5 million years a year, which is a lot of years. <laughs> That's an amazing stuff. <laughs> but then you go, well, you know, of that 5 million, what 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 was causing it? You go, well, 4% of people were sort of born that way. Not much you can do about that. Um, 8% of people got injured. Um, so there's 12%. Okay, remaining 88% is, is chronic conditions. Wow. And so, you know, yeah. just do the mess on the millions of years lost every year. And and so the bulk of those, of course, the the big behaviours in both countries are, are 
still pretty obvious, and I think we're making progress on two of them. So the two we've made progress on are smoking, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, good progress, could do better, but pretty good. Uh, booze, some evidence of some progress for some people, could do much better. Uh, the two we're, we're actually going backwards, in my opinion, are nutrition and exercise. But I think, you know, nutrition in particular, uh, it's obvious to everyone that the food environment is just in you know, medical terms, pathological. So, you know, with the best intentions, you just get undermined everywhere you go. So you need some sort of uh, willpower. So I think, you know, that, that doesn't really exist. So we've got to make massive changes in that. Um, and then I just see this, the science is just like there's arguments. We're, we're arguing, we're arguing, we're arguing. What's, what's good to eat? Look, if I, if I was doing the nutrition guidelines for both countries, I would run a very, very simple protocol um, as a description of what's healthy food, and it would go something like this. It's like um, eat foods low in human interference. Uh, human interference means that uh, – low in human interference means it was clearly recently alive, running around somewhere, swimming somewhere, growing somewhere on something. If, if that was that, – that's all I think the nutrition guidelines actually need to be, and we would avoid the debate, the arguments about uh, you know vegetarianism, uh, meat – uh, around um, ridiculous food labeling systems, the the health star rating, uh, you know, because that, anything that's in a health star rating packet doesn't meet the definition of food under that guideline, uh, and, and you know, that would be the way forward. And then we and can go back. Yeah, I can see that there would be significant uh, groups that would have opposition to that, though, Grant. Particularly significant groups who make lots of money from packaging up food and from producing food who probably make significant donations to political parties as well. I mean, do you think that's a big part of why we have the system we have? That's absolutely a, 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 a fundamental cause, and I think it goes further than that. I would go to say that you know, I think we should legislate in both countries against uh, health professional groups receiving uh, money from the food and pharmaceutical industry. It's just not it's not acceptable. It runs a conflict of interest that's not not okay, and I, you know, particularly single out a couple like the Dietitians Association of Australia is one of those. Um, you can't be taking money from you can't be taking money from the food industry hand over fist and then pretending that you're um, independent. You, you're simply not. Um, so, you know, and, and even if they are independent, the perception is that they're not. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got concerns about that, you know. But also, you know, moving beyond food, obviously, there's uh, there's the interests um, around funding pharmaceutical companies, uh, funding the research, and so there's you know a lot of um, you know there's a desire and a need based on a financial dependency um, of scientists to produce the right sort of result, and uh, and so we're seeing that, and much of the research that uh, that makes its way into the journals is kind of uh, touched on the way through, so. We've definitely got concerns about that as well. Obviously, in Australia and New Zealand, with similar sorts of uh, marketplaces and medical systems set up. So um, that's a big problem. That is a huge problem. Um, Where where do you suggest that we start tackling it? Obviously, um, in New Zealand, I've been in the media. You're in the media now. We've had other people like Dr. Libby in the media. We've all had a good go at it, um, and we're all trying to help it. But you guys have still got GST on your food. Um, Where where do we start with this, this problem? Yeah, that's that's um, an issue. I mean, I, you know, many cases, and then you, you know, people sort of make, you get into sort of political political divisions about left and right and um, conservative and liberal and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, um, the legal system is designed to protect the vulnerable, 
and people are vulnerable to a poor food supply. Like, we're, you know, the major source of hospitalizations for kids in both countries is is uh, getting anesthetized from uh, poor dental health. So, you know, and and it's it's not due to not brushing your teeth; it's due to sugar. So, you know, when you start thinking about things like that, you know, we 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 do heaps of other things. We put seatbelts on people. We, you know, have road safety laws because you can't drive around in something that doesn't work properly because you might hurt someone. Well, you know, I think food is now getting to that category and, and so I'd, I'd be taking a legislative approach and then people start to freak out about that because, I don't know, it's just, I don't know why that is. It's, I, I mean, we're probably everyone's an expert on food because we all eat. Uh, we actually do need food to survive, under, unlike, you know, booze and tobacco. So, you know, the 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 response from most people is uh, emotional, emotional, uh, uh, and usually intense. And I guess one of the problems with that, though, Grant, is I find that when we do try and legislate around these things is that it doesn't encourage people to take personal responsibility. It doesn't encourage people to to inform themselves and make their own informed decisions. And often what it seems to end up with is just people ending up with a different type of bad food, you know, because they, they don't really get perhaps the philosophy and the reason why behind doing it. And so they're still vulnerable to just being manipulated in a slightly different way. I mean, do you think that's the concern people have around this idea of legislating rather than educating? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, the thing is that if, if you were a decent public health practitioner, then you're not doing one of these things. You're doing 10 things at 10 different levels. And that was the, you know, that's what happened to, in tobacco. We legislated, we stigmatized it, we banned it from bars, we've, yeah, we, we, we had medical education and medical professional stuff so you know you don't do one without the other you're doing all of these things it's, but it just I, you know i sort of you know, at one hand you look at the job and go oh my god too big give up what what the hell can you do on the other hand i think if you look back you know across other things you just um i think we'll look back in 20 years and go ah oh, man we were doing that weird weren't we and, and a good example of how quickly things change and aren't the same i think at the moment is the plastic bag stuff um, in both countries it's just rapid you know, we've gone from, oh, that's sort of dumb having those plastic bags and the turtles eat them and, you know, clogging my says to like, right, you know, don't go to a supermarket with a plastic bag. And that, that public response happened quickly. And I think we'll see similar things happening, hopefully, with especially sugar and processed food. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for that one. It is actually a great point, actually. You've gone straight for the jugular. And so with smoking, we went straight for the jugulars. Like, you know, you're going to die. You're going to get cancer. It's going to do this. So we're going to ban it here. And so we've we've painted a really grim picture of it. Um, And, you know, I I get that from a legislative perspective. Um, There's reluctance for countries, including Australia. I don't know about New Zealand for a fat tax, um, you know, on junk food. Um, And so... Uh, but we've still got, you know, a, a, some kind of tax or some kind of, you know, um, penalty for buying fresh food. It's I find that really uh, interesting yeah, and, yeah, and confronting. Yeah. Um, there is uh, there's a bit to be said for education as well, though, because there are some healthy foods and some good foods, like nuts and seeds can come in packets. And so when we start to say, well, anything that comes in a packet um, is going to be, you know, something you need to stay away from, then... Um, then that then in itself is is slightly misleading too. So the education around what you're talking about with minimal 
human interference um, and what yeah. we like to call you know a large amount of natural intelligence we like to be able to know <laughs> that it's it's yeah. still relatively alive or if you planted it it will grow you know there's that sort of thing you know so we kind of go that's an important message where should we start that obviously we've got to dump the food pyramid or the my portion plate or the food circle or whatever we're at the moment whichever shape the dietitians have decided to use at the moment we've got to dump that but where do we start with this education process well you know, I'm actually also a job i do at the moment is um i've been appointed by the new zealand government as the chief advisor for health and nutrition in the uh, education department so yeah. Oh, wow, I thought you were the right guy. <laughs> Which is, we well, it's an interesting thing, but the, um, you know, both in Australia and New Zealand, the, the health and physical education curriculum, which includes nutrition, um, you know, it starts when you start school and carries on right through. It's really good if you applied it and it was mixed in with other subjects and, it, and, and you dump the ridiculous resources um, out. And I'm not sure in Australia, but in New Zealand, a whole bunch of curriculum resources arrive at different schools, you know, courtesy of Nestle and uh you know so forth you imagine what they're like uh so you know if we could we could get that stuff going that curriculum is you know really good we've got you know we're sort of organized for it but we just actually don't deliver on it it's a little bit marginalized as a curriculum you know as you go into high school it's what the dumb guys do which is a shame given it's you know crucial to our um, well-being yeah. as as a population should be everyone doing it yeah yeah, I'd be going for compulsory health and PE, and I and included in that is both you know staying and keeping fit as well as um, learning about food, and and the the third thing is just about device use and sleep and all that sort of stuff because that's another issue. Well, let's talk about that, Grant, because you come from uh, you're you're involved in the Human Potential Centre, and so I'd love to hear from you um, how you define human potential because. You know, in some ways, it's it's easy to define disease and to measure whether we're having an impact on disease. But we're seeing that that system doesn't really work in terms of dealing with chronic disease, right? And so, what yeah. we do need to do is is take a more holistic, maybe even a more vitalistic view. So, let's talk about. So, what is human potential? How do you define it? And and probably even more importantly, how do you measure it? Well, yeah, I'll take a step back. I mean, the reason I, I had a research centre called the um, Centre for for boring negative studies. No, it was actually called the Centre for Physical Activity <laughs> and Nutrition. <laughs> and, and um, you know, we, we, we had that approach for, you know, a decade of our research. We're really successful in getting funding, which is surprising because our, our trials were, you know, universally pathetic. You know, you'd tell people <laughs> that if they, if, they, if they did this and they would avoid dying of this horrible thing and, you know, you got – a small portion of the people doing it for a small portion of time, and then everyone gave up. So, you know, I really felt, um, and, and also I'd originally trained as, as a psychologist, and you know, I, in actual fact, on individual counselling, I'm you know pretty much the world's worst psychologist. You know, <laughs> in, in the same in the same genre as, you know, you know, in a in a relationship, you know, one of the things you're supposed to do is shut up and listen and not tell them what to do and give the answer straight away because it doesn't work, obviously. Um, well, that <laughs> yeah, we keep doing it, guys, don't we? Including myself. <laughs> um, but but I, I have the same approach in psychological counselling, so you imagine how well that goes. So, uh, you know, I ended up um, in sort of public health and, and whatnot in that space. But then the psychology as a movement started to get this whole positive psychology thing going, and I quite liked it, actually. It was a more of a sort of... Um, a uh, glass half full approach to um, thinking about mental health, 
Um, and then I started looking at what they're doing. And I was like, yeah, you guys are sort of onto it, but you forgot about um, the physical uh, sort of cricket wickets underneath, the three pillars of, of eating, sleeping, and moving. And so I thought, oh, well, we should, must be able to have a more positive approach to health. Um, and then I was walking past one of these Pilates studios, and I don't know if you're aware, but half the Pilates studios in the world have a logo of Leonardo da Vinci sort of reaching out for Trivia Man. And I thought, oh, yeah, we could just go with that. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was just sort of trying to redefine human potential. As, you know, if people strive to be the best you can be, like that's been my philosophy for my life. It's worked for me. Um, so that's all I was trying to do there. You know, how do you measure, well, you guys are the well-being guys. I mean, I, I wellness guys, I try and think about well-being as those physical underpinnings of um, being healthy through having enough sleep uh, and good quality sleep, uh, moving and being fit enough and having a decent diet. Um, and there's a couple of layers on top of that of, uh, you know, being sensible enough to be able to connect with other people, having the resources, you know, financial and, and social to to do things that you want to do um, and have some interests that actually make a difference to humanity. Um, and, you know, just as an example of that last one, is a, people think that's random, but, you know, my son's like, I can make money by um, buying these uh, ridiculous running shoes off the internet and then selling them again in New Zealand for 100 bucks more. I was like... No value to humanity. I, I'm not even letting you use my credit card to buy that, even if you pay me back. So I sort of firm but believe me on the physical going through to actually having some purpose in your life. Um, oh, I love that. That's, that's what I'm basically about. Yeah, so, awesome. um, uh, and and then I think probably the other thing is uh, the top of that that sort of redefines your research a bit. So you start trying to study well how many people actually uh, in the country are doing uh, well. Uh, versus sort of, uh, you know, and f- actually flourishing in their life um, versus just languishing, uh, then uh, I think it allows you for a different perspective on nutrition um, and exercise because rather than just putting the bar to the lowest common denominator, which is so common in public health, you know, choose, you know, get 30 minutes, five days a week of any sort of movement, you know, you know gentle gardening will do it. You know, like, honestly, that's, that is, that'd be great if people did that. But actually, if you want, if you want, the best possible life and you want to be physically highly functioning, you do way more than that. Mm. Uh, and, and the same is true for nutrition. You know, eat your five plus and blah, blah, and, you know, <laughs> still still saying, you know, 10 teaspoons of sugar would be all right. Really? Yeah, just re- <laughs> re- re- rethink it. Rethink what it takes to be good. So it sounds to me, Grant, that you've um, – it's congratulations too on the appointment with the government. I think that's, uh, that's a terrific um, achievement and – um, I'm really, I'm so happy to hear that that's taking place. Um, I went down with Brian Kelly um, many years ago down to uh, down to Wellington to meet with um, Damien Connor, Damien O'Connor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, he was the health minister at the time when the Labor government was still in, and um, and we had you know quite some some good conversations and robust discussions, and we felt like we were going to get somewhere, and then the government changed, of course. Um, but it's really nice to hear that you're actually doing that um but what i love is that you've identified that the government plays with the lowest common denominator and yep. uh and so that to me gives me hope because if you can identify that and then you're advising the government on that is it feasible then for us to see that what new zealand might then do is raise that bar so that you go hang on a second we no longer want to be mediocre we actually in fact we no longer want to have 
some of the worst diabetes stats in the world. We no longer want to have these obesity stats which are matching it with the US. We no longer want to be, you know, worse than Australia at something else. Well, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to raise the bar. This is what we're going to do. Does that mean that you're going to set the bar higher and could you be using some of your education research, um, you know, to help that? Is that what you're hoping to be able to achieve? Yeah, well, thanks for all the accolades and positivity. I mean, frankly, I'd love to be able to do it. I think the only, without being too glass half empty about this, the only trouble with these um, bureaucracies, um, if you're related to something in real life, it's like going, I'm thirsty, I'd like a glass of water. And you think, oh, well, I'll do that next year. You know, that's that's about <laughs> the time frame. <laughs> all know. right. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. So, so, you've so got to, you've there, got to put together is... the water committee first, you know, <laughs> you have an advisory committee about which sort of water you should get. And then you need to make sure that you've got your, you know, OH&S in place to make sure you're not going to hurt yourself on your way to the water. You know, there's lots yeah, of things all, you need to consider, Graham. Yeah, although we're quite good in this country on that whole OHS thing because um, of our, and this is why with our kids play, and particularly we've made great uh, gains there, because actually you can't be sued for someone just hurting themselves. You've got ACC. ACC through own stupidity. So they just, you know, they hurt themselves and they get fixed. So they should have, should have been more careful. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but the good thing about that is that, that it allows that sort of, um, you know, a bit more full contact play in a playground and sort of risky tree climbing and, you know, all, all the sort of stuff that kids should obviously be doing as part of a normal growing up. But, um, so, once again, I guess I come back to, you know, what you're saying about, you know, taking more proactive approach in terms of diet, taking more proactive approach in terms of exercise. It's, it's great and it makes so much sense. But I guess the challenge then becomes, and as you said before, and you and Damien were saying, sort of, you know, in the absence of good quality research showing us, well, what is the best diet? You know, which direction should we be going in? Because, you know, we have a lot of I guess, uh, reductionistic research where we look at a particular ingredient or a particular type of food, but we don't have a lot of holistic research where we look at, well, what is overall, what is the global best diet for people? And, and, and even more than that, how does that change for different people, which is an even more complicated question? So, so in the absence of that you know, real hardcore evidence, how do we know which way we should be pushing people in order to try and get this optimal health performance? Yeah, no, that's a um, great a uh, little statement and question there. I mean, just to just to illustrate that, what you're saying about the reductionistic approach, I come back from Australia last week. I stand at the border going through the queue, you know, showing the immigration guy my my stuff, and he's checking for, um, uh, you know, the quarantine sort of fellow. And, and then he goes, oh, what are you a professor? And I was like, oh, I do nutrition stuff. And he goes, oh, well, hang on. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, the role of omega-3s. And what do you think of the research at the moment that shows that fish oils may or may not be? And you're sort of going, oh, well, you know, one – single type of one particular type of omega-3 oil it's pretty reductionistic about you know um things so you know that's that's the, i agree that's everywhere and that's still a major problem you know does uh you know what's the difference between this fat profile and that profile or this particular type of thing that you might eat once a week or something well who knows um the global best way of eating you know just the trial the trouble is and we mentioned it earlier, in, in dietary research and trials, these are expensive, expensive things. Um, you know, potentially cost more than a drug trial. Um, they're not going to get done. It's simply unless unless governments step up and and put in the tens of millions of dollars needed to you know do do these studies, they're never going to be done. And so you end up with all this infighting, um, and then we end up with a lack of information. I, you know, I'm firmly convinced that. Um, Diet should be you know, obviously we talked about that overall template of fresh, um, you know, recently alive food. But um, 
changing it for particular types of people, especially insulin resistance and you know poor glucose control. Um, you, I, I personally think you need to the evidence is mounting for needing modifications there, um, and we just don't do that at all at the moment. We we just wait till people are sick and then we give them pills. So you know we're a long way from from having all the answers. Yeah, absolutely. We've certainly seen that. We're, there's a lot of ambulances waiting at the bottom of the cliff at the moment. Uh, we're certainly seeing that. Um, Grant, with your model of uh, of food and nutrition in terms of what you speak about and write about, um, you've got two books that are called What the Fat, uh, one um, which has got avocados on it and one's got um, the uh, evolution man who ends up bolting across the finish line, which is really good. But the new one that you've got out, which I really found fascinating, um, when you spoke about this recently at the conference was what the fast, um, which yeah. I, I thought was cool and which I love. Um, and fasting obviously um, has become a very hot topic. People are talking about it. There's five, two, there's 16, eight, there's all different types of things with fasting. Um, there's a lot of benefit around the gastrointestinal system and blood sugar control. But yeah. do, you, do you see this as maybe being something that we could um, easily educate the population to be able to do? Is it something that, will be you know, taken up by more than, say, 10% of the population? Is it something that we could teach people how good they feel with by doing it at schools, for example? What do you reckon? Yeah, I don't know about the school thing. I don't know how – it's an interesting one, isn't it? But, yeah, so, I mean, it's been so interesting. I mean, I, I, I personally regard myself as the least likely person in the history of humans to want to fast. You know, I sort of felt like I liked food <laughs> and, um, you know, why would I not eat? Uh, yeah. And then you start to unpack the physiology and then what's going on all around the body in terms of you know, the sort of inflammatory process of growth, which you want a bit, but not all the time. And then the um, catabolic process of, process of tidying up the cells from, from the stress of not having enough nutrients coming in, which you want as well. And the sort of cyclical up and down of fasted, non-fasted seems to be key to um, not just – um, feeling better, not just sorting your blood sugar sugar out, but virtually, you know, everything you can think of responds well from um, sorting the circadian rhythm out to um, to mental clarity to um, you know possibly some you know some emerging evidence about uh, anti anti cancer effects. Uh, if I was doing public education, which I'm trying to, I, I'd be you know all over it. And that's why we wrote the, wrote the fastest, try and translate some of that science into some sort of reasonable practice, you know. Uh, I, I was just staggered when I started doing it, and some and and started compressing eating windows, and then sometimes doing some longer fasts. You know, both how easy it was, uh, but the remarkable amount of mental clarity and um, feeling good that I felt. Um, the, there's increasing evidence for immune system function that should be studied more. I'd love to understand how that works better. Um, you know, from someone who seemed to always get the winter cold. I haven't had one since I started this process. So, yeah, it's just... Yeah. Uh, and I agree with you, Grant. I, I do a bit of fasting as well, and we've spoken about this just recently on another episode of The Wellness Guys, and with similar sort of results. And um, I guess the, the only thing, two concerns I have about fasting, I'm not sure if you share these, is that if we're talking about it on a population basis and promoting it sort of more globally. I, I always worry about, one is, I guess, people with some disordered eating, um, that they may then take fast and use it in a way that's not healthy for them and, and perhaps not for the right reasons. Um, and the okay. second thing that I worry about is people eating um, low-quality diets, so you know, poor nutritional density in their diet and then using fasting as a way to try and maintain their weight. But, but in the, the sum of those two, meaning that they, they could well end up incredibly nutrient-deficient as well. 
Yeah, so that, I definitely agree. Those are two problem areas. You have to weigh that up against the, you know, the broader problem that, you know, that probably half of us are insulin resistant and um, a quarter of us at least, and you know, half of the over fifties have got metabolic syndrome, and that, that's the you know underlying cause of um, you know the, all of the big four chronic diseases that are going to get most of us. You know, the the the, the you know the the startling fact that. Um, in both our countries, there's about a 15-year gap between dying and and having a healthy life. So, you know, um, I reckon it's yeah, we will we will promoting that sort of stuff will definitely have a small negative effect on some people in the population, but the broader positive effect um, way outweighs that. Um, you know, the the target's too big not to fire something decent at it, and there'll be some small you know that's public health, isn't it? Small amount of collateral damage. Uh, that's interesting actually what a fascinating point to finish on i'd love i would have actually loved to have explored that a little bit further the public health there's a little bit of collateral damage Mm, geez you can ponder on that one for a little bit grant it's been uh so great to chat with you and uh thanks for giving up your time and um and chatting with us um, all the way over on this side of the ditch and um and just bringing your wisdom to the airways because a lot of people will be able to sit back and think about the things that you've said and mentioned and Talk, you know, just talk about themselves around about um, lowest common denominator, et cetera, et cetera, and what we could actually be doing here in Australia as well for public health yeah. and what they could do in other countries as well using your model. So hopefully you champion it and fly the flag and you get some great things done, mate. Keep up the great work. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been uh, been listening to you guys for a while. I love your work, so it's been pretty cool to be on there. <laughs> it's great to have you out here. Thanks, thanks so mate. much, Guy. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of The Wellness Guy Show. We hope you love the new feel. Remember to continue to interact with us and tell us what you thought of this and other episodes. Please head to facebook.com forward slash thewellnessguys and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This is the way that we get to share our message with the world. For more information about Bredo and all that he's up to, please head to drbredhill.com.au. And to find out more about me, head to damienchristoff.com. Until we meet again, continue to bring wellness into your life and we'll join you next time on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.